Well, it is so good to be together uh, with all of you in the room and with those of you online. We're so grateful to share this time with you wherever you are. Uh, as a reminder, for those of you that are new with us, uh, if you're new in, with us in the room, we have a gift for you. We'd love to give at the end of the service. So if you'll just make your way to Miss Alicia in the back of the room, we'd love to give you that gift. Also, if you're new with us online, we would love to give you a gift. Uh, they're posting a link to a Connect card right now. If you fill that out and let us know that uh, you're new with us, we'd love to send you a gift today. Hey, Westside, let's let everyone that's watching online and all those that are new with us in the room, let them know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Will you do that? Yeah. Uh, so we live in a day and we live in a culture where it's all about knowing your rights. I mean, this is actually what being an American is all about. In the United States, we have the Bill of Rights. I mean, the first 10 amendments to our Constitution are what we call the Bill of Rights. We feel entitled to some rights, and, 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 and this is what it has. Now, having rights is great, but does having rights make something right? Does having rights make it right? And for one illustration of many, does having the right to free speech make what you say right? Does having rights make it right? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Uh, now that I've given you that question, I want to talk to, uh, specifically to the Christ followers in the room. And to those Christ followers online. And it's a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge for all of us who follow Jesus. See, as Christ followers, having rights demands that we do what is right. That's a challenging thought, isn't it? To follow Jesus means that we are responsible to do what is right. Now, more on that in a little bit. Uh, last week, we began this series called Entitled To. And you go, Casey, that's a silly word. It's, a, it's, not, it's not a word. It's a made-up word. I made it up. I'll take all the blame for all of this. And this is what Entitled To is. Entitled To is the attitude of entitlement. It's the attitude of, that drives someone to expect certain things or demand certain things from others. It's this attitude that elevates that I deserve or I expect or I demand because of my position, my person, and just who I am. See, last week I gave you, uh, even furthermore, we, we, we talked about a definition of entitlement. And this is my working definition of what entitlement is. Entitlement is when a privilege becomes the expectation. When the privilege that of in your life now becomes an expectation that one demands in this life, when the privilege of having someone help you turns into this expectation that they should always help you, when the privilege of working for that company that has given you those benefits for all those years turn into, turns into this expectation that they need to keep these benefits for you and they need to provide more benefits to you, when the privilege of getting that, um, that, 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 that invitation to go somewhere or be a part of something turns into this expectation that you will always be invited to participate in that. See, here's the big idea uh, in this whole series. And, 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 and it's a negative in, in its connotation. I don't like to normally craft the series big ideas in a negative way, but I want you to understand something. See, when privileges become expectations, you won't experience the joy 
and the blessings of life. That when privileges become expectations, it, it, it will rob you of the joy of your salvation. It will, it will eliminate you from, the from you seeing the opportunities of all the blessings that you have in life. See, uh, <laughs> entitlement is the great eraser. It's the great eliminator. Entitled to is why so many of you don't have joy. And so many of us forget all the blessings that have been given to us. Now, last week, we looked at uh, uh, some symptoms, and we talked about some symptoms to help us diagnose what entitled is and, 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 and if we suffer from entitled And we looked at the symptoms of entitlement being complaining, comparing, and controlling. And when we complain, when we compare, when we control, we ignore a truth we stated. We ignore a truth that is woven all through Scripture, and it's this right here, that everything you are and everything you have comes from God. That this truth is woven through the narrative of all Scripture. All the, and you can see this in the Old Testament. You can see this in the New Testament. And when you and I ignore this truth that everything you are and everything you have, it comes from God and it belongs to Him. When we ignore this truth, we breed, we give birth to entitlement and this attitude that I like to call entitled and then what's that lead us to do? We begin to compare. We begin to complain. We begin to control our situation. And all of a sudden, we wonder, where was the joy? Where's the joy that we once had in this relationship? Where's the joy that we once had in this job? Where's the joy that we once had with all of these things that at one time was a blessing to us, and now we've lost the joy in that relationship? And we lose sight on all of this. See, now it's easy to spot entitlement in others, isn't it? It's easy to see it in others. And when you spot it in others, isn't it ugly? I mean, it doesn't wear well on people, does it? I mean, when people have this entitlement, it, it doesn't look good. It doesn't appear well. And, and not, no one, not very many people, I don't want to say no one, not very many people like to be around someone who carries entitled and is entitled now, last week we ended with a challenge. Because while it's easy to see in others, it's hard to see in us. And that's just the reality of it. And we ended last week with this challenge. Just to begin in our life to name, to identify the things in our life that are privileges. Just what are the things that you in your life that you can just identify as a privilege? We ask you to start doing this with your groups. Um, if for those of you that are in a group together, this was a part of your talk it over. If you're not in a group, I encourage you to form a group. Just gather a couple of friends that are here or, and, and, or others that tell them to watch a message and just talk about this together. And we ask you to begin to identify this. And, 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 and today, we're going to begin to give the uh, prescription to overcome entitled We're going to begin to give you three prescriptions. Today we're going to look at one. Next week we're going to look at another. And in two weeks we're going to look at the third. On three ways that you and I can overcome entitled to. So now that we've diagnosed the problem over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three actions that will eliminate this viral attitude of entitlement. So let's look at scripture today for the first one. And let's look at what Dr. Jesus prescribes to overcoming this 
idea or this attitude of entitlement. And Jesus' prescription is this. And the first thing that we're going to talk about today is this. It's going to be the hard thing. It's the hard way. See, entitled is combated by doing the hard things and pursuing the hard way of following Jesus. In fact, entitlement is the easy way. The better way is Jesus' way, which is the hard way. The teachings of Jesus <laughs> help you and I combat entitled The teachings of Jesus, let's just be honest, were the hard way. I mean, this is exactly what the teachings of Jesus were. They were hard. And, and, and no one knew this better than the 12 disciples. The, these 12 disciples actually heard some of the hardest of Jesus' teachings. I mean, when Jesus would look at them and say, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This is, was, was some of the hardest of Jesus' teachings that he would give. He, he, would, he would, to those that were closest to him, he would give the hardest of his teachings. He, he, would, he would teach, and all Jesus' teachings, all of Jesus' teachings actually were, were a level of difficulty that were unlike others. And the disciples had a front row seat to these hard teachings. And in fact, they were recipients of many of these hard teachings. And even though his teachings were hard, there was something unique and different and winsome about his teachings because his teachings were also life-giving. His teaching, because he was God. See, he had the authority and, and, and he had this winsomeness about him because he taught with the authority of God because he was God, a God who gives life. And he would make claims that if you hold to my teachings, you'll be my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. <laughs> you'll experience the life that God wants you to have. So you combine Jesus' teachings and these hard teachings, these winsome teachings too, that life-giving teachings with his miracles that he was performing. And you will get a picture that Jesus in this day and age was a pretty big deal. If he were a YouTuber today, he would be like the biggest influencer on YouTuber. If he were a musician or a singer, he would be a rock star in today's age. And you know what that meant though? His disciples were a pretty big deal too. I mean, because they got to hang around Jesus. I mean, they got the front row seat. They got the, they, they were in the, the, the green room. They were in the studio with him, if you will. See, this meant that the disciples were becoming just as big of a deal and just as popular as Jesus was. And these two, 12 disciples, these 12 disciples were associated, who were associated with Jesus. It was a privilege to be able to be there when Jesus turned water into wine, when, he, when, when they got to participate, it was put in their hands to feed 5,000 people. What a privilege that they would be the ones to do that. See, they would have a front row seat at so many of Jesus' miracles. And three of them, Peter, James, and John, they, they were in the inner circle. They got the VIP seats to many things that even some of the other nine disciples didn't get a part of. These three were privileged to experience things that, that no one else was able to experience. They were the only ones that Jesus would allow of the 12 disciples to join the two parents of, of, of two parents who invited Jesus to come to their house because their daughter was sick and dying. And Jesus only allowed James, John, and Peter to come into this room and they have the front row seat to Jesus speaking with his words to a dead girl on a bed and saying, little girl, get up. 
and they saw it with their very eyes. They were also the privileged ones that Jesus would invite to a mountain. And they would get to this mountain. They had no clue why they were going there. And they would go up to the top of this mountain. And it was there that Jesus would, in this miracle of a thing, be transfigured. And then all of a sudden, Jesus wasn't alone. Moses was there, the icon of the Hebrew people. And then appears Elijah, the uh, two iconic people in Hebrew history. They were privileged to be a part of this. And then... In Mark chapter 10, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and says, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we want you to do for us, whatever we want. Do you hear the audacity in this? Do you hear the privilege? In this, the pride in this, we want you to do for us whatever we want. I know that we as Christ followers, we never ask God. God, will you do for us whatever we want? See, we can see their entitled But you know who didn't see it? They didn't. Because that's the thing about it. It's hard to see within yourself. <laughs> but Jesus says to them, hey, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, I'll, I'll play your game. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Now, James and John, see, they recognize something about Jesus. James and John recognize that Jesus was different. They believed he was God. I believe at this moment, they, they, they believed that he was coming into his kingdom. They were ready for him to take his kingship and they were ready for him to rule. And you know what that meant for those that were close to Jesus who had the rule and the authority? There'd be some distributed authority to them. There'd be some distributed privilege to them. And they knew that Jesus was going to be in charge and they also knew that they were, there were going to be seats on his right and on his left in front of Jesus. And they wanted those seats. They felt like they had earned those maybe or maybe they felt like they deserved these spots or they were privileged to these spots. After all, look at all the things that they were a part of, all the special invitations that they were invited into. And, and I mean, after all, Jesus, come on now. You called us the sons of thunder. And Jesus says this, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptized I'm baptized with? Baptism and cup Jesus uses right here as a metaphor for suffering. Because Jesus knew exactly what he was about to do. He was about ready to go to the cross. And this was the cup he was to drink. This was the baptism he was about to go through. He says, he goes, can you do this? And they reply, yeah, we can do that. Jesus said to them, okay, you will drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. And Jesus was looking ahead to their suffering and their death that they would suffer as martyrs for following Jesus. But Jesus would say this, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant 
These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, I just want to pause right here because it's important to understand something in this story that Mark, the author of this, got this firsthand from Peter. You know who Peter is? The other one that's part of the three. And he was with the ten. And so we get a little insight into this story that's actually quite humorous. That when the ten heard about this, and Peter was with them there, they became indignant. They became angry with James and John. And Jesus called them together. You know, as a parent, I don't know if you've ever had this. You've got a bunch of kids playing in the backyard. Maybe it's your kids and, and with a bunch of other kids. And, and you've got a bunch of kids playing. And, and then all of a sudden, there's a scuffle. And it's not caused by every, everyone, but there's only like a couple people that are causing trouble for everyone. And, and what does the parent do? The parent calls everyone together, gets everyone in their room. And, and the two that are the instigators are called in, but they, they talk to everyone, okay? It's kind of like the coach on the ball team who disciplines the entire team for the misbehavior or the infraction of a few. You know, it's like, it's this moment. Well, Jesus gathers all the boys together and he says to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Now, I don't know how Jesus said this. Maybe he was saying this kind of like with an exciting tone because he knew what was in their hearts or he knew what they were saying. But he was like, you know, those who have authority and those who are regarded as rulers, they lord it over them. And there are high officials, they exercise this authority over them. And maybe John, James and John are like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what we want. I mean, the disciples are like, that's why we're all mad. We all want that. I mean, it's time for us to rise up. It's time for us, the oppressed, to become the ones in charge. It's time for us that, 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 that the government and all this has been taking away our rights and the Romans are doing this and the soldiers are doing this. It's time for us to give them what's due them. It's time for us to exercise our authority and have that privilege that they have. Yeah, that's what we want. So Jesus, hey, you know how they do that? Yeah, that's what we want. And then Jesus says something. That I believe these four words should echo in the back of our mind, in the caves of our souls. In this moment where they're like, yeah. Jesus looks at him and goes, not so with you. Not so with you. See, this is the antidote. This is the antidote to the attitude of entitlement. Not so with you. See, there are people who use their, pri- their privilege to gain or their position to gain privilege. Not so with you. There are people who use their status to serve themselves. Not so with you. There are people who seek prestige for their own profit, but not so with you. Instead, and here's the hard way of following Jesus. It's not the easy way of following Jesus. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Want to be great? Great. Be the servant. 
follow me. Jesus is saying, follow me. See, Jesus, who being in very nature God, Paul would write about this in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be used to his own advantage, but he humbled himself, lowered himself, being made in human likeness, but didn't just come as a human, took the lowest part of humanity and became the servant and the slave to all. And Jesus, Jesus who had his right to life, if anybody has the right to life, it would be God himself comes into this world. And what does he do? He had a right to life and he gave up his right to life, to ransom, to purchase the right for all to have life through him. This is what Jesus did. Jesus then addressed in this moment, this entitlement in his disciples. We see it, but they did it. And sometimes in our life, God sees it in us, others see it in us, but we don't see it in us. So what do we need to do? See, you see it. We don't see it, but what do we need to see? See, entitlement makes us think something. We need to recognize something. Entitlement makes us think that we deserve to be served, that I deserve, that I have the position, so I have these privileges, that I have authority, so therefore I have a benefit to this. I have the right. But Jesus would say, you want to be served first? Be slave to all. A slave. I mean, this is not an appealing word in today's society. And rightly so. But a slave has no rights. And we live in a culture with an entitled right to pursue happiness. When following Jesus, I mean, that's the easy way of the world. But following Jesus is the hard way. See, Jesus gave up his rights as a slave to give the right of life to all who trust in him as Savior and follow his hard way as Lord. See, we serve as Jesus served us. And as Jesus served us, we serve all those around us. And he, this is his command to his followers. This is the hard way. See, the hard way of Jesus directs me to leverage my rights to serve those who are around me. This is the hard way of Jesus. See, you have privileges. We have privileges. We have rights. But the hard way of Jesus demands that we do something different with our rights. It demands that we do something different. See, the world trains you to leverage your rights to be self-serving. But the hard way of Jesus says that your rights aren't to be leveraged to be self-serving, but to be self-sacrificing. This is what you do with your rights. And you leverage your rights for the sake of all those around you. You leverage your rights for the sake of the body of Christ. You leverage your rights for the sake of those who are close to you but far from God. This is the hard way of Jesus. This is how you and I combat entitlement within us. We choose the hard way. We choose Jesus' way. He gave up his life so he could give us life. And we choose to follow his way of life. And leverage our life for the sake of others. See, to follow Jesus as a servant or a slave is not to think less of yourself, but to see how you 
can use your privileges and your rights for the sake of others. This is the power that God has given you. This is how you and I combat entitlement in our own lives. And here's a teaching big idea I want to leave you with today. See, you and I overcome entitlement by choosing Jesus' hard way of serving others over the easy way of being served by others. This is how we do it. I have to overcome entitlement. I may not always see it in me, but I guarantee that when I choose Jesus' hard way, it keeps entitlement at bay in my life. That I'm going to overcome entitlement by choosing the hard way of Jesus over the easy way of this world. And so to do this, you and I must learn to differentiate between our needs and our entitled desires. I must learn to differentiate between my needs and my entitled desires. See, I have needs, you have needs, we all have needs, and those needs are different than our rights. We just need to recognize something. Needs are different than our entitled rights. Our needs are different than our privileges. Our needs are different than our wants and desires. Last week I, I, I mentioned a book by Dr. John Townsend. Uh, he, uh, he, he wrote this book called The Entitlement Cure. And I, I want to qu- read a quote from that book that is, really speaks to this ve- very well. He says, you have to learn the difference between a need which should be met and an entitled desire which should be starved. Meeting a need leads to life and feeding an entitlement leads to destruction. It comes down to this. That which creates love, growth, and ownership versus that which creates superiority or a demand for special treatment. So, what do we need to do? What do we do about our our needs that need to be met? See, needs are unique to each and every one of us. Your needs might be different than my needs, and I recognize that. They're unique to to cultures and different geographic regions. But we need to know, what do we need to do with our needs? Because if we're going to fight entitlement, we need to know what to do with our needs. And here's how you fight entitlement, with what you need. This is how I need to do it. I will trust God to meet my needs without expecting special treatment from others. You want to suppress entitlement? You want to, you want to put entitlement to bay? Trust God to meet your needs without expecting it to be that special treatment from others. See, we trust God to meet our needs because everything we have and everything we are, it comes from God. Therefore, we trust God. And this is exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, one of the most iconic teachings on worry and trusting God to meet your needs. He weaves this truth into it. He says, so do not worry about uh, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? I mean, these are the basic needs of provision and protection. He says, don't worry about this. Why? <laughs> he goes, for pagans run after the, all these things. You know what a pagan is? A pagan is someone who does not trust the God of the Bible is God at all. That's what a pagan is. To, to live your life as if God is not the, the provider and the protector is to live your life as a pagan. He goes, they run after all these things. And your heavenly father, your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, pagans... 
people who don't believe in God, people who live as if God doesn't exist, they expect all of these things and they worry about all these things. And you know what worry leads to? Control. Complaining. Oh, I don't have this. And comparing. He goes, but your Father in heaven knows everything you need. Do you trust that? Do you truly trust that everything you truly need, God, your Father, your good Father in heaven, knows that you already need them? See, the hard way of Jesus is to trust God to meet your needs and to trust that he knows what you need. And the way we trust God, Jesus says, this is how you know your trust is in him. Seek first. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know what the kingdom of God is? His rule and authority in your life. That he is king. And what does a king do? A king provides and a king protects. This is what the king does. And to be under the authority of God and to be in the kingdom of God and you pursue his kingdom is you're pursuing his lordship in your life, trusting that he will be your protector. And he will be your provider. And we, what do we also do? We seek his rule in our life. That's why we seek his righteousness. We've been given his righteousness through Christ and we seek to live rightly in this world. And this is what is the hard way of life, is to do what is right by following the hard ways, the righteous ways of Jesus. See, when you follow Jesus, you will do what is right. And, and this is what Jesus says. If you trust him enough just to seek first his kingdom, trust him. This is your faith in action to trust God in his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. And all those things that you worried about, all those things that you feel like you need and, and those, those things he, that he already knows about will be given to you or added to you as well. So now that we know what to do with our needs, we trust God. What do we do with those entitled desires that we have? Well, this is what I must do. I, must, I will deny my entitled desires and be content with what I have. Content? Yeah, content. I mean, there's a key here. See, contentment suppresses my entitlement. Contentment is the way of Jesus. It's the hard way of Jesus that it puts my entitlement at bay. Paul, the uh, author of the book of Philippians, in prison writes this. And he's also the author that just, remember when I quoted earlier from Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus being in very nature God didn't see uh, being God to be used toward his advantage? He wrote this. And then right after he writes this, he, he, he continues to talk to them and he tells them about, uh, he, he's thanking the church in Philippi for sending him some gifts that were actually uh, meaningful to him. And, and, he, and he tells them, thank you for the gift. And he recognizes this gift. And this is what he says to this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He's not saying I'm not in need again. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I mean, this is the context for this very popular verse that we state all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
See, we like, to, we like to quote this whenever we want something to be leveraged for our advantage, don't we? I can do all things through Christ when it's going to help my position, when it's going to help and it's going to make me look better in my prestige. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When it's really, it's really about a desire that I want, I can do all that. But no, he was like, you don't understand. I've been in plenty. And I've also been in want. And I've learned the secret to being content because the secret is this, is everything I need. I already have in Jesus. That everything I need, I already have in him. And that's why in, 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 in want, I am not in want anymore because I already have Christ who is the supplier of all my needs. Those entitled desires, man, there are things I want in life. <laughs> I learned to be content with what I have. Because everything I have and everything I am, it comes from God. It comes from him. And I know who I am in Christ. And I don't have to have this because I, I'm content with what I have. I know what to, the secret of being content in any and every situation. And plenty are what I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, in Jesus, he could be content with what he had because in Jesus, Paul had all he needed. He goes, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. See, I desire something for you. It's not about what my rights are. I want something for you. And he goes, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied and recognize this. He's in prison. I'm, I'm amply supplied now that you, I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God, look at this. And my God, because he knows who his God is. He's learned who his God is. He's had faith in God's delivered on who he is. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So yeah, we trust God with what we need. And you know what we also do? We are content with what we have. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? See, being content is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline that puts entitlement at bay. It's just as much active as it is passive. In fact, we kind of make contentment a passive thing, but no, this is an active spiritual discipline. It's a discipline to be content. The hard way of being content is the way of Jesus. And, let me, and this is why it's so important, because what would it look like for a church to be content? What would it look like for a people to, like Paul, say that everything we need we already have in Christ. That I don't need my value in what you say about me. I know who I am in Christ. That I don't need to, to have more to, to feel satisfied in life because this deep satisfaction comes from knowing who I am in Christ. And I don't need more material things. I don't need more money. I don't need another position. I don't need another advancement in my career. I don't need more letters on my name because I know who I am in Christ and I am content with who I am in Christ. And when I am content with who I am in Christ, there's something that's powerful about that. Because now I can be positioned to leverage all that I am and all that I have for his kingdom. And I can leverage all that I am and all that I have to serve your needs. I'm not in this 
for my benefit. I'm not in this for what I want or what I need. Because I have had my needs met. And in this deep sense of contentment, I can now turn and serve you. I can now turn and use the extra of what I have to meet the needs of those in the community of the body of believers. I can use this to meet the needs of those who are close to me but far from God. See, entitlement says, I need more. But the hard way of Jesus says, I am content with what I have, and I am content with who I am in Christ. See, it's not about pursuing your rights. It's about pursuing Jesus' kingdom and, and his righteousness and doing what is right by him, trusting that he's going to meet your needs. And then with your extra, you can, be, you, can, you can serve and position yourself to serve others. See, when you're content with who you are, you won't demand from others to feel better about yourself. You won't expect things from others, but you can leverage what you have to serve those around you. And knowing that everything you are and everything you have comes from God and belongs to him makes you a steward of everything you have. In everything you are for his kingdom. And when you're content with having your needs met, you and I can look at our extra and we can see our extra in a way to serve those around us. Just like Jesus looked at who he was and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he, he leveraged who he was and what he had for the benefit of all those around him. See, we fight entitled to by being content with who we are and what we have in Christ. See, entitled to says, I deserve. But the hard way of Jesus says, I'm responsible to serve. This is the hard way of Jesus. Entitled, to, entitled people walk around saying, I, I deserve because I have my rights. But entitled, entitled people walk around demanding to be served. But the people of Jesus who do the hard way, who see the not-so-with-you way, now see the responsibility we have to serve. See, what would it look like for the church to leverage who we are and what we have to do what's right by Jesus, not by our culture, not by a bill of rights, not by what, uh, the, uh, what certain people say is right, but do right by Jesus. What would it look like for us to do the hard thing, which is the selfless thing that leads you and I to do the loving thing, the not so with you thing, being content with who you are. Now you can be positioned to serve others. What would it look like for that church I believe the kingdom of God advances through that kind of church. I believe the kingdom of God, the life-giving kingdom of God goes through that type of church. And I'm so grateful that you are that type of church.